on air. Our customer's end customer is the consumer. So it's really around how do we make sure we educate the institutional customers around open banking, but also broader data. How do we compartmentalise data to solve specific opportunities and problems? This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. Welcome everyone to today's discussion. We're going to chat about open banking as part of a series of conversations in the lead up to Cybos. With me today is Lisa Vasic, ANZ Managing Director, Transaction Banking. Hello, Lisa. Hey, Shane. We also have Richard Hoff, ANZ's Initiative Lead, Open Banking. Thank you, Richard. Hi, Shane. Thank you both. Open banking is what we want to talk about today. It's quite a big deal. What does open banking mean for ANZ and how do we see that developing in the future? Sure. Well, open banking we really see as a digital innovation platform for the next decade. We've been building out the supply of data across the industry and that's really getting to the point only now where it's going to be really interesting for data recipients to utilise that because the, the full supply of data from the major banks and other banks is now in place, available with you know live working digital platforms and we're going to see... Uh, in my opinion, in the next 12 months, an increasing range of data recipients looking to consume that data, to, to give new customer propositions, to um, new services on that data, and we're looking to participate in that ourselves as well. Great. And look, I, I think, you know, Richard, what we're seeing from, if I can just, you know, use the institutional lens as, you know, as part of the response to my questions... Open banking has been very much focused around the consumer end and giving those consumer rights. And I think, you know, for any network effect to really take um, hold, you need to actually have kind of all the parts of the value chain connected. So from an institutional perspective, we see open banking not just as a data interoperability framework, of which obviously has been driven by our regulators here in Australia. And I understand New Zealand's going from a market-driven model to a regulatory-driven model and what we're seeing offshore, but really as a data framework which enables our customers, as Richard said, to be able to consume data in a way that helps makes their end customer value proposition more responsive to that digital consumption. And that's why we find the whole approach around um, open banking quite exciting. That's absolutely right. Uh, And I think it's important to remember that open banking doesn't operate in isolation. It operates in parallel with a range of existing data capabilities that we have, and we share data already through direct feeds to our customers, to accounting platforms, and open banking gives a sense of trust to the consumers to participate in terms of the security guardrails around sharing that data. So it's intended to to build upon the range of capabilities we have already, and really target that consumer trust so people feel able and happy to participate and, and give consent to share their data. So to your point, Lisa, does it become a, a partnership conversation around open banking with, with some of our institutional customers? It, it becomes a, what I call a co-creative um, you know, approach because what we're, uh, within transaction banking, we have two teams that really help our customers think about what is it that they're, what is the problem or what is the opportunity that they're trying to solve for? And I think with any form of whether it's regulation or capability that's driven by industry, the first thing we've got to think about is actually what is the problem we're trying to solve for with our customers? And so from our perspective, it's around working with our customers to say, what is the opportunity here? 
um, you know, whether it could be in the insurance sector and around, you know, that opportunity to aggregate spend, looking across multiple policies, whether it could be in the energy um, industry or, again, where it's comparative of prices. And what we need to remember from an institutional perspective, our customer's end customer is the consumer. And so it's really around how do we make sure we educate the institutional customers around open banking, but also broader data usage, because to Richard's point, it doesn't have to be an open banking construct for us to be able to share data. We do that today. We've been doing that from time immemorial through what we call balance and transaction data. It's really around now making sure how do we compartmentalise data to solve specific opportunities and problems. And APIs has become a big way of doing that. So I would say there's kind of almost this parallel run happening with our institutional customers. One which is how are APIs particularly allowing them to consume bite-sized pieces of data, particularly as they're responding to real-time opportunities in their customer set. And then there's a consumer-led one, which is the open banking framework with the rights that sit around the um, uh, sharing of that data for the consumers to drive our institutional customers to build better propositions to meet customer demand. Yeah, I think the real-time nature of it is what's so interesting about the current situation because APIs have been around for a long time uh, and they're essentially pieces of code and you know, when you learn um, basic coding, you learn how to like, do print code. But what's most important for consumers is the way they use APIs to get immediacy of login, reuse for your Facebook, Google credentials, uh, and it really comes to life through the app ecosystem that means you, there's more of a need to have everything at your fingertips or at, when you expect it. And that includes your data and it includes your full understanding of your financial circumstances and it includes the way that we can provide customers advice and insight into how to manage their money, um, hopefully to support their you know, improve financial wellbeing. Lisa mentioned the opportunity before. What's the opportunity like around open banking from a participation level as more people join? How does that sort of change the equation? We're, we're obviously keen to participate and we plan to do so. We've always had the view that to be successful in open banking, it's not a question of being the first to become a data recipient, but it's a question of what can you actually do with that data to improve the consumer experience and to improve your products and services so open banking isn't necessarily a new set of services or a new set of products it's just a a way of augmenting the capabilities we already have we obviously have internet banking we have mobile apps but in terms of the level of insight you can give to consumers the level of personalization uh, and the level of immediacy open banking is a massive um, step forward in all those things and we're actively building and innovating internally our propositions and at the right time we'll um, seek to bring those to market as, as our competitors are and it's ultimately a drive for competition um, and, and that's a good thing for all of us. And again, I'd add from the institutional perspective, it's all the same attributes from our institutional customers. How do they offer richer um, propositions to their customers? And you know, one of the things we've clearly seen through COVID is customer expectations around what organisations should know about them Um, should be able to consume about them, should be able to assess about them, and then what they can deliver has increased exponentially. So, you know, Richard's right, APIs have been around for a long time, but we're really starting to see the usage of APIs increase 
and our customers thinking about how they build them into their end customer propositions because we talk about real-time payments but real-time data is just as important as around the real-time payment because it's that assumption of you should know this about me or you should be able to onboard me or you should be able to activate me in terms of the propositions and services that consumers are expecting to consume from institutional customers. Yeah, and I think those institutional customers are increasingly looking for a strong partner and thought leadership in terms of how these things work together rather than just a banking provider. We've done a lot of work in the data space with specific customers to improve uh, collective insights, and, and that's something that open banking just adds to, but something that we've already had yeah, strong, dedicated presence in the market, uh, and we've had some great success for our customers in working with them on data-driven insights and propositions. Yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't um, echo that any stronger. You know, one thing is the technology, but the uh, the most important thing is actually how to leverage the technology, or in this set, in this thing, the framework to be able to bring things to life. And I, you know, we look at um, across ANZ Institutional. If I look in here in Australia, our customer base, we've got over forty percent of our customers already using host to host as a, da- a data transfer mechanism. Now, the use cases for that are often quite different from what we would expect for. Um, the concepts that are around open banking, which will be much more API enabled. But it just goes to show that customers really understand the need to be able to consume data, but also be able to compartmentalise it to, to be able to evolve those customer value propositions. But I think, you know, our call out to a lot of our customers would also be is get the bank in early into those conversations or around that development pipeline to be a help with that education, to help with that execution piece around how, you know, the usage of data, but also often that data results in a financial transaction of some description to execute the service, to making sure the whole thing has got that digital enablement. And I think that's a really exciting piece is when we genuinely do move to what I call a frictionless payment and a frictionless um, uh, value transfer experience. The open banking experience in Australia, how does that compare to some of the other experiences globally? Are there things that we're watching other countries do that we think we can learn from or we're waiting for them to come over here? Well, if you start with the biggest differences in the actual legislated ecosystem, uh, one of the biggest differences in Australia to the UK, for example, is the range of data that's being designated. So the UK has a model which is more mature in terms of the volume of API calls but it's based on open banking, specifically open banking and you know, the ability to make payments. But open data in terms of the consumer data right in Australia spreads across uh, a range of industry sectors and it has telecoms, it has energy and it has future designations um, that are being considered and actively consulted on in superannuation insurance. So it, it's ultimately aiming for full ability for a consumer to have their data with whichever industry they participate in, uh, whether it's energy data or banking, and, and then that gives the ability to combine that data. Um, so it's got a kind of exponential potential, um, which is really untested as yet uh, as we go through it. And that's what's fascinating about it, but it's also what's unique about it compared to some of the other open banking systems and rules that are in place in other countries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, you know, what probably has been a limitation for traditional uses of data, it's been, you know, one provider 
and a kind of binary relationship with um, uh, our customer. I think what's really exciting about the open banking framework is that whole reciprocity thing uh, in terms of we can be obviously an ADR but also consume data on behalf of our customers to help aggregate um, to provide those valuable insights. And what we're clearly seeing in the institutional space is the leveraging of data insights has been a core part of our customers' expectation of our service proposition. And that's been in play now probably for the last five to seven years. We've seen that very active in terms of who our customers choose because context is everything. And I think it's really around how do you and where do you deploy to make sure you're getting the right customer outcome. Now, whether that is within our customer's own environment or whether that's in their end customer's environment all part of the employee value proposition. So these are all type of um, information and data sets that I think our institutional customers find hugely valuable. The other thing I would add to this is that, you know, uh, on the institutional side, our customers have been used to consuming a lot of data. That in itself is a problem statement. Uh, and I think the real opportunity here is around standards um, and around how to fractionalise and consume some of that data, I think is going to be really important for our customers to be able to separate what they need to run versus what they need to kind of build on behalf of their customers um, and have that flexibility around data usage. It's hard to have these kind of conversations without the mind going to data security and that kind of thing. Lisa, you know, how important is that in terms of both uh, consumer and, and customer data? Look, I, I think uh, security of customer data is of the highest order. And, you know, from an internal perspective, uh, I can absolutely um, validate that's the way that we approach it in terms of all our governance, our compliance requirements and our protocols. But, you know, what our customers tell us is that the same controls that we use for their financial flows is the expectation around their data, if not even of a higher order, because often there is highly sensitive customer data that sits within that set. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why we see banks still very much looked to by our customers as the, you know, providers of secure data and also why consumers look to their banks in terms of the provider of services and confidence around securing that data. I think in a world where um, identity theft, um, you know, and, uh, you know, compromise is, you know, on, on the increase year on year, Customers are becoming much more aware, and when I say customers, both institutional and consumers, are becoming much more aware and conscious around the security of their data and the expectations of those that hold their data to be able to maintain that degree of trust um, and compliance. That's absolutely right. Uh, and the concept of consent in the consumer data right really does lift the bar on security because not only is the bank uh, you know, a trusted party to hold consumers' data, but the consent in the CDR rules has to be explicit for the purpose in which the data is used. So it does drive a level of investment across the industry and a need to ensure that not only are you holding all of the customer sensitive data securely, but if you get their consent to use data for a specific purpose, that's the only purpose that it's used for. And they always have the right to amend that consent and to revoke that consent. And so that gives the confidence for the consumer, hopefully as you know, understanding and uh, awareness grows, that, that they can use their data in a kind of on-off switch to, to target specific outcomes they want for themselves. And they're not just giving a bank or any party or a data recipient uh, an open playing field to look at their data. And you know, people like to feel that their information personal to them is treated as such and with respect. And that's what we aim to do. Just before you wrap up, 
Lisa, um, you're talking open banking uh, as part of the Cybos event that's later in the year. Um, looking forward to that. Oh, look, we are super excited um, about Cybos being in person this year. And, uh, you know, it's kind of been two years where we've had to adapt and uh, and deliver Cybos virtually, which has also been a really wonderful opportunity to, to talk quite intimately with um, some of our peer banks around what are they seeing in the marketplace, how are things developing in different jurisdictions, um, and open banking being one of those. But one of the other you know, key changes we have happening across the industry is the ISO um, standards across the SWIFT network and the, you know, the importance of what that does to data standards um, and to compliance. So there's a lot of converging uh, factors that are happening. And the other big one, which everyone is very familiar about, is obviously... Um, real-time payments and that being kind of ubiquitous across the world, different use cases, different applications in different markets as we would expect. But again, when you start to bring all these three things together, you can see real opportunity for creativity and customer value propositions. The one thing I will say, what I'll be interested to, to discuss with some of my colleagues is one of the premises we see is actually with all of this coming down the pipe, it, when we talk about the creativity and about the customer value props, Sometimes we don't talk about the difficult side of it, which is we're actually adding a lot of complexity, um, particularly in the institutional side to our institutional customers in terms of layering existing legacy um, capabilities and plus the new. And one of the challenges for a lot of our customers and for banks is how do you balance between those two things as you're in that transition between old world um, and the new world capabilities and also an increasing, you know, demand from your end customer. For us, it's the institutional customers. For our institutional customers, it could be the small and medium business or the consumer. How do you continue to adapt to those? So I think it'll be really interesting to see how we're seeing that play out across the globe and how in different jurisdictions they're starting to manage that because one of the big challenges for all of us is actually you know, not just how we keep adding, um, but actually how do we start to simplify the stack in terms of both data and payments to make more efficiency, more product, uh, you know, improve productivity globally, recognising that um, the flow of, of payments and data is really what keeps the world going and that the importance of that to be an effective asset for us is, is something that we need to keep our eye on. Yeah, that coexistence of um, old legacy technology versus the new world and how quickly we get there. It continues to be a focus for us, but it obviously is for our customers as well. And, and the learnings we take from participating in things like open banking, um, we, we try and bring those insights and, and sort of share them because then you know, it, it's not an easy challenge to unpick running a large corporate and many systems, but we have to make it work and we make it work for our customers and we make it work securely. That was On Air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.